We're doing a study on the life of Joseph, and so far we've been really focusing on some of the bad things that happened to him. But thankfully, the story changes, and he gets out of prison. And so today we're looking at the power test and the prosperity test. I've been at this church for two years and three months now, and this is the third time I have spoken on money, all right? I don't make a practice of it. A lot of people's criticisms of churches these days is that they're forever asking for money. But I am thankful that there are spirit-filled, generous people in this church that give to God's work in this place. So how do you respond when good things happen in your life? Pharaoh sent for Joseph while he was in prison. Let's read about it from Genesis 41, verses 15 and 16. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied. But God will give Pharaoh the answer that he desires. Joseph was a humble man. He refused to take the credit for his gift of interpreting dreams. He interpreted Pharaoh's dreams, and the following day, he was riding in the king's chariot. Promotion and authority can come to us very quickly. Blessing and favor come from the Lord. Look at these two verses about that. Psalm 62, verse 11. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. And in John 19, verses 10 and 11, Pilate said to Jesus, You will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and authority to crucify you. Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. God channels his mighty power through his humble servants whom he can trust. He blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. Are you walking in humility so that God can channel his power through you to help others? Do we use the power God has given us to extend God's purposes? Or do we just squander it on ourselves? Let's look at how Joseph's promotion came about. Pharaoh dreamed that he saw seven fat cows and seven thin cows. And the thin cows ate up the fat cows. Then he dreamt that he saw seven plump stalks of grain and seven thin blighted stalks of grain. The seven thin stalks ate up the seven plump stalks. Pharaoh was very troubled by his dreams. Let's pick up the story from Genesis 
chapter 41, verses 25 to 32. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of, of grain are seven years. The dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. So we do get prophetic dreams. God can speak to us through prophets and dreams. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. It's amazing how you can go through good times, but as soon as a bad time comes along, you forget about the good time. And the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the, king, the thing is established by God and God will surely bring it to pass. If you have the same dream more than one time, take notice because often God is trying to get your attention about something. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of the years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities." Then that shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. So God's purpose in giving Pharaoh these dreams was to help and provide for the people. And Pharaoh needed someone for this important task, someone who could be trusted with money, someone with the organisational skills to carry out his purpose. Thankful, we are thankful in this church that we've got management and finance teams of people that are experts and have experience in these areas to manage the finance of this church. Money is needed to help hurting people and to carry God's truth to those people in need. God provides what we need to carry out his plans for our vision, for this church, and for our personal lives. Can God trust you in this way? Do you faithfully steward the gifts that God gives to you? New Zealand is one of the most prosperous countries in the world. Yet people in this land struggle to find money for food or to pay the power bill. Jesus said in Matthew 6 verse 21, Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. How we spend our money 
is a very good indication of the key priorities in our lives. What is your God? Is it your money? Is it sport? Possessions? Self-importance? What occupies most of your casual thinking time? Because God desires to be number one in each of our lives. Proverbs 3 verse 9 says, Honour the Lord with your possessions and the first fruits of all your increase. Joseph honoured and thanked the Lord in his new place of power, privilege and wealth. We honour God in our love and generosity toward him and toward others. An interesting story about when the people of Israel entered the promised land of Canaan. God commanded them to give all the silver and gold from Jericho, the first city that they were to attack and conquer. That city contained the first fruits of the promised land. God didn't say to them, look, take ten cities and then give one of them to me. He commanded them to give him everything from that first city. God said, if they honoured him with the first city, then he would help them to conquer the rest and he would allow them to keep everything from the other cities. But one of the soldiers, a man called Achan, stole silver from Jericho. And so God stopped blessing them. God stopped helping them. They lost their next battle and took no more cities until they had made the situation right. You know, I would rather have 90% of my income, give 10% to the Lord, and have God's blessing on that 90% than to have 100% without God's blessing. Some people say I can't afford to give to the Lord. But people that I've seen in churches I've pastored that are the most generous to the church are tithing to the church and God is blessing them. And there are ways that God can bless you if you are faithful to him. By giving you the, the exact house that you want at the time that you need it. You know, that whole property thing is massive in this country and sometimes places are beyond your means but sometimes something happens where you go into a place and you feel peace about it and a voice from the Lord says, this is where I want you to live. And so as we're faithful to God, he will lead us and he will guide us. The tithe is consecrated to God but if we take it for ourselves, we lose the blessing. When we give the Lord the first of our increase, we're taking a step of faith and trust. We're saying, Lord, you are number one in my life, and I will give to you as you direct me. There's a really interesting story about this in Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 to 11. It tells us that if we trust God with our finances, he will rebuke the devourer. Let's read the story. It says, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse. 
For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe to the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I do not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. The devourer is the enemy, is Satan. The enemy that consumes our energy, our time and our resources. God is saying, trust me with your finances and I'll turn my resources over to help you in your life. I will destroy those things that are oppressing you and making your life difficult. In Matthew 6, verse 33, it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. When we listen, honor, and obey God above all other things, he is able to help us and guide us in our lives. It's important that we're aware of biblical principles in the way that we manage our money because God cannot bless selfish ambition, laziness, or the worldly idea of instant gratification. There's a wonderful story about faith and surrender in 1 Kings chapter 17. During a terrible famine, God said to Elijah, Go to Zarephath, where I have commanded a woman to provide for you. So he goes there and he found a starving woman who was about to prepare a final meal for her son and herself. Elijah ordered her to feed him first and then take food for herself. She obeyed. And God miraculously provided for her. Her bowl of flour and her jar of oil lasted until the end of the famine. When we obey God, our faith is activated and God is able to step into our circumstances. For the seven years of plenty, Joseph made the Egyptians store up their grain. After a while, some people probably said, surely we've stored up enough grain now. But Joseph replied, no, if we don't store it now, we won't have it later. And we need it later. Joseph understood the importance of delayed gratification. Proverbs 28 verse 20 tells us, the trustworthy person will get a rich reward. But a person who wants quick riches will get into trouble. And in Proverbs 24, verses 33 and 34, a little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, then poverty will pounce on you like a, ba a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. So the Bible teaches us the importance of working hard and saving our money. 
There are many get-rich schemes around us today that are risky and deceptive. People try to get rich quick because they're impatient and they want instant gratification. There's an increase in lottery and sports betting sites on the internet and many people get sucked in to thinking that they're going to hit the jackpot. Instead of living within our means and saving our money, it's easy to take shortcuts. A, re a key reason for this can be laziness, greed, selfishness. But a major reason behind it all is pride. Credit cards enable us to spend tomorrow's resources today. Credit cards are fine if you can pay the full amount off each month. But if you are paying interest of 22% on your credit card, it's going to keep on accumulating and you're going to pay a whole lot extra. We want the cars, houses and expensive toys that everyone else has, even though we can't afford them. Proverbs 24 verse 27. Do your planning and prepare your fields before you build your house. Get the qualifications, the experience, the expertise to generate a good income before spending big. You know, when I was at university, um, we couldn't get student loans or anything like that. And so I was at Otago University and I had a, a job at the Otago Daily Times in the publishing department at night time. I was only working a couple of nights a week in the publishing department, but um, I'd go to work at midnight. And uh, I'd finish at five, and my first lecture was at eight in the morning. And I was one block from that University of Otago clock tower, and in my sleep I could hear that clock ringing out every quarter of an hour, and so at quarter to eight, I knew what the time was. I got out of bed, chucked my clothes on and went off to a lecture. I also had a job with brambles on their removal trucks. And sometimes when they needed someone to do a household shift, they would give me a call and if I didn't have many lectures, I would give them a hand. I was quite happy to eat, to drink instant coffee at home and I didn't go out boozing like a lot of the guys, so by the end I, of leaving university, I'd actually saved a reasonable amount of money. In biblical times, most people worked growing food or tending flocks of sheep. A wise parent teaches their children God's way of doing things. Proverbs 22 verse 7, The rich rules over the poor. And the borrower is the slave of the lender. Don't get so heavily in debt that interest ends up taking the bulk of your income. Many people lack the self-discipline and humility to live without or to live modestly. When we were first married, we lived in a teacher's house and it was pretty bare and pretty cold. And I used to I was a teacher at Rotorua Boys High and I would bike to school so that my wife could have the use of the car during the day. We lived in Brunei for a few years and um, one of my daughters was best friends with the Sultan of Brunei's brother who was called Prince Geoffrey. 
And, um, and so my uh, daughter would get invited to go to the palace to play with Princess Samantha from time to time. And we had an old beat-up Nissan Sunny. And Prince Geoffrey had one of the best car collections in the world. And this Nissan Sunny had a fault. Sometimes the carburetor would sort of block up and the car would stop. And Helen had visions of sort of driving into the palace in this old beat-up car and the car breaking down. And I said to her, look, don't worry. If that happened, he'd probably give you one of his good cars. <laughs> but that was all we could afford at that point. We did get a better car a bit later. <laughs> Restraint now brings us opportunities in the future. Buying something to make us feel better creates a short-lived surge of excitement. There's no shame in driving an old car or living with your parents while <clears throat> you're saving for a deposit. Think in terms of short-term pain for long-term gain. Joseph understood God's principles of financial management and he kept a budget. His plan involved specific amounts, accountability and enforcement. A budget helps us to examine our needs, our values and priorities and to come into agreement on how we're going to spend our money. By living within our means, we're saying, Lord, I'm, I'm content with your provision to me. When selfish Greedy people violate God's principles. Do you really think that God's going to turn around and say, oh, I'm just going to have to give that person a whole lot more? He's wanting us to learn through our mistakes. Because Joseph was a wise manager of material things, God placed him in charge of the food supply for millions of people. In fact, Joseph fed the known world at that time. Jesus said in Luke 16, verse 10 and 11, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy with worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven. If we can't manage our money, how will we be able to manage our spiritual destiny? Debt and financial pressure keep us in bondage and hold us back from God's purposes in our lives. I just want to tell you about one or two sort of policies or ideas that we're thinking about in the in the church. Our eldership have been reviewing our pastoral care policy. It's really important that we care for you as a congregation and that we're aware of people's needs and situations. When we were ministering in Baku, there were a lot of poor people in that city. There were a lot of refugees in that city. In our church, there were wealthy oil workers. And so a lot of poor people would come to our church 
and ask for money. And several people would target people that they knew were very wealthy and generous. And then we found out that the same person had asked for money from six different people and they'd all given him the $50 he was asking for. And so the church had a benevolence committee. And once a term, they would have a special benevolence offering. They'd take up a second offering in a service and people could give money to the church that could be administered by the benevolence committee. And so when people had a genuine need, this committee of three people would say, yes, we can help you in this situation. And they kept records of who they were giving money to, and they were discerning people that made sure that money was used well. We've had the same situation here, where people are coming and asking for money. And just like... We've got one food bank in town that can be centrally managed to make sure that things are done fairly. We're wanting to set up a benevolence committee to do a similar thing here. Also, once a term, we get people to bring their surplus clothing and we set it up in the back hall and anyone can uh, go through the hall after the service and grab three items of clothing or a pair of shoes. And then what's left over we can give to the Christian Opportunity Shop. But there are little things that we can do that will help people and make their lives easier. The other thing that I was um, wanting to talk to you about is there's someone who... has a good friend who is an architect. And that architect has offered mates rates to do an evaluation of our property. And a person from our church has offered to pay for that service. And so we're wanting to get this architect who did a refit of Fairfield Baptist Church, which was an older church, but made it look more contemporary and made it more user-friendly. And so someone's going to pay for an architect and interior designer to come and look over our buildings and make suggestions on what we can do to make this church better suited for catering with for the many, many people that come through this place. I mean... We're hosting up to 80 people at our community meal on a Monday night and our kitchen is not really adequate. Some people say that there's a big disconnect between the stage and the congregation and that it's hard to really be drawn into worship. There's places where there's dead spots as far as sound go in this auditorium. And, and so there are things that we can look at that can make this church more user-friendly that will help us in the future. And so that's another um, thing that will be happening in the next few months. So let's put the Lord first in our finances. Let's honour him with the first fruits of our increase. Make a budget. Live within our means. Be thankful and live a life of obedience to God. 
when we pass the prosperity test, God will be able to trust us with his wealth, his resources and salvation, and enable us to better minister to a needy, hurting world around us. We're going to enter into a time of communion. And during this time, let's thank the Lord for his goodness, for forgiving our sin and granting us eternal life. We give him our honour and our worship. He is our Saviour and our Lord. We desire to seek him first in all things. We want to commit to yield to his promptings and allow him to guide our lives. Lord, the greatest gift of all was your son Jesus who opened the way for us to be restored into a relationship with you. But Lord, it, it was a terrible punishment that he took. He had the sins of the world, the sinless man had the sins of the world placed on him and he was distanced from you, his heavenly father. But he shed his blood, he was whipped and he gave his life that we might live. We thank you so much for your many blessings to us. And as we partake of the bread and the wine this morning, Lord, may we renew our relationship with you, come to you afresh and say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. Take me, use me and make me a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.